Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Two Feet Apart with me, your host, Peachy Patra. Today we have Ayanna Davison. She is a certified nurse midwife, and she is joining us today to talk a little bit about her story. Hi. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, like you said, my name is Ayanna Davison, and I am a certified nurse midwife practicing in Southern California. And um, I am just super passionate about um, midwifery, caring for others, and um, doing the work for the Black community. That's really important to me. Um, and when I'm not doing midwifery, I feel like I'm still doing midwifery in other ways. Um, I have a business called The Vagina Chronicles, and my goals are to like kind of educate, inspire, and also um, create safe places for people to discuss things that are often hidden um, and give people the chance to really grow and learn. So that's a little bit about me. I love that. Um, and I found you, I think you found me maybe on Instagram, um, I think through Shan Booty, probably. Yes. Um, <laughs> And so I was so excited because I was like, I had just realized, you know, um, that with some of my practitioners and some of the care I've been receiving, and I know like previously I had a lot of discrimination in care. Um, mm. And I realized that that was kind of a pattern that was continuing even with like prenatal care. And so I was talking to a friend of mine and she's like a family therapist, but also specializes in prenatal stuff. And she's like, you know, why don't you try and find like black midwives and stuff like that? Because then, um, you know, at the very least you're getting all the information, but at the most, then you feel a lot more understood and you don't have that. And so when you had messaged me, I was like, oh my gosh, like this, this is awesome. <laughs> and just everything that was on your page, I was like, yes, I love this. So I'm so excited that you were able to join us. Of course, thank you. Yeah, it's it's super important that um, folks find practitioners that they can relate to, and um, it, you know, really, we need to build up how many black midwives there are. We're, we are definitely down in numbers, but we are strong in spirit for sure. And so, um, it's so important to relate to people and to really understand them, sit and meet them where they are so that they can get the care that they need. And it's so true, just like you were saying too, so many people, not just during pregnancy, but in their health overall are experiencing disparities, well, not disparities, but they're experiencing racism and biases based on who, what they look like. And this happens daily. You know, I've seen it with my own family. I've seen it with my friends and, and people who are not pregnant, but it, what's worse is when you are pregnant and this is like one of the most critical times of your life. Um, you mm. don't have the support you need, you know? So we are here, we are here strong, uh, small, but mighty. <laughs> I love that. And I did have a question about this because I know I have seen this come across my feet a couple of times, but some people say, you know, even in their education and nursing school and stuff like that, you know, there's discrimination in that. Did you find that that was something you noticed when you were going through that schooling? Um, so I know that to be true. I, um, I was fortunate for my midwifery training for the first portion, like my first 
clinical as opposed to teaching the clinical por portion of things, which is really important. What's where you apply your theory. Um, I had a black preceptor and I think that was the best thing for me at that time. She ended up having to leave the state, which I was heartbroken about uh, because I was looking forward to actually getting more from her. Um, but uh, the preceptors I had following her actually were very supportive, but I do know some of others who struggled um, and I'm not without the racial experiences um, from more so from childhood than anything else, like during elementary nursing school, I would say uh, I didn't experience a whole lot, but also, um, I don't know, I think I think at times I might have been oblivious to some of the things too, um, a little naive at, at that age, at that time. And um, I will say this, I was, before becoming a nurse, um, I was pre-med and undergrad and I went to an HBCU, which is historically black college and university. Um, so I felt well supported there, but afterwards I did a year program for a post-baccalaureate certificate. And this was pretty much your route into um, to medical school because I really thought that the path of becoming an MD was for me. And during that time, um, my both my roommate and myself, we were to the two black students in that program. And we definitely had a difficult time getting the help that we needed. Like, you know, uh, they would offer tutors to like the medical students. And so we would call to place like place our names on the list and everything. And they told us, well, medical students get uh, first dibs on that. And uh, you will have to call back to see if you can get help. And we called back and they were like, there's no more spots available. So we just kind of felt really left out of a lot of the help that we could have used. And I really don't feel like we were supportive while like our advisor kind of just, it was just kind of talks here and there. It wasn't really guidance. So in that regard, I felt like, you know, I felt like we, were, we definitely were not included in, um, in portions that we needed to be included in. I have seen um, through my nursing clinical, like that, that experience, you, can, you do pick up on seeing how folks treat Black people. And there is a, a vast difference between how Black people are treated versus others and whites. Um, and especially when it comes to pain um, and believability, uh, they it's it's almost as if like what the person is saying isn't true. It's it's like a form of gaslighting. Like you, mm -hmm. you know, you think like, oh my gosh, well I must be crazy because this person is telling me I'm not feeling what I'm feeling, but in in truth, they really are feeling these things or going through what they say they're they're going through. So, um, so for I would say for nursing school. I didn't observe that as much in terms of like treatment towards myself, but it's there in treatment towards the patients when you're in the clinical setting, you, you can see that you can definitely see that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, that, first of all, that must've been so frustrating, especially when you're trying to learn and you just, <laughs> all you want is the same opportunity. People are always like, well, why do you want special treatment? We don't, we just want the same chances yes. and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, in the healthcare side of things, like I remember one time I had this weird skin rash and I was sitting in the clinic and she literally pulls up her computer and Googles this 
condition on African-American skin. And I was like, I'm, I'm I'm right here. (laughs) Like I could have Googled this. Yeah. And, uh, And even, you know, with a lot of like the prenatal care and everything like that, it's just, oh, you don't need that testing. You're young and you look fine kind of thing. And then turns out Mm -hmm. it was like a big problem. And I'm like, these are things that should have been caught. Um, And so it's hard, but then, you know, as an individual that's receiving this care, um, Mm -hmm. and maybe you can explain this better from your side as a care provider, but um, I try to tell, you know, people that it's important to me to have a black midwife. And it's funny because at first I had just found like a random one. I was like, oh, this is the same company my sister used, you know, it should be fine. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I had that talk with my friend and I had to Google and it took me probably 50 minutes to go through every like midwifery center uh, in the region where I'll be living. And so only one of them had a black midwife. And so I emailed them and I was like, is it possible to request this specific person? And they ended up saying yes. And I was so happy and relieved. And just like, you know, I have siblings that are half black as well and stuff like that. And they're like, I don't understand like why this is so important to you. And, you know, me trying to explain it was just kind of what I said earlier in terms of, you know, worst case scenario, I just get the the same care that I would receive from, you know, a Caucasian midwife and whomever. Um, but then I'm like, best case scenario, you know, there's a eliminated discrimination. They understand, they kind of get that. Um, right. And even when it comes to like the maternal mortality rates for women of color and stuff. And so how would you kind of best explain that to people in ways that are digestible to people that don't, that haven't experienced that discrimination? It's, um, it's tricky to explain. Again, there's that gaslighting situation where white privilege has run rampant for so long that it's like what we say is not, is, is not truth. Like we're, it's, it's almost like we're blatantly lying in front of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, this, the, with the, um, the improvements with technology and you have video and you have, a devices to record, you know, now people are see- like seeing, it's like they mm-hmm. had to see it. And even with seeing it, it's like they still can talk themselves out of believing what has happened in front of them. But yes. I mean, to, to describe it, there's nothing like, you know, for, for an example, I was with a family member who was deemed non-compliant with her medication. And basically what had happened was like, you know, when you've been put on several medications, it gets frustrating, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I just want to go back to my normalcy. And that was vocalized. And in the document, in the chart, it said like the patient's non-compliant when really she was just voicing that she was just tired of having to take all these medications. And then when a a different provider, um, actually a female provider saw this family member, it was like, yeah, they're deeming you non-compliant, but like after talking with you, I understand you're still taking your medications you're just frustrated with having to be in this spot you know um but it is really it's it's a thing to live when someone someone doesn't believe you when you're telling them what you're experiencing yeah um, or they discount it in front of you and um that's this, this is why it's so important to have providers who look like you and I cannot guarantee that every provider who looks like you is going to give you the exceptional care that you need but the vast majority of us I would say are really in it 
to help one another out um, and have, you know, um, equitable healthcare on the brain. And that's what, that's what their purpose is. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I do work with um, some black doctors and I know that this is just as important to them as it is to me making sure that our community does well and succeeds. Um, but it, it really is frustrating to have to go to an appointment and explain yourself and sometimes multiple times. So you're doing this over and over and think about it like this too. You've told the story to one person and they don't believe you. So then, you know, someone else comes in the room for whatever reason, you have to tell the story again, or you just have to go see another provider. You've been doing this for a a while, that's frustrating. And what begins to happen sometimes too, is we, in our frustration and in our our desire to really seek good care, we sometimes give up on ourselves. And I think that's one of the bigger takeaways too from like the message I try to put out there is like, don't stop until you get the the care that you need. You know, don't stop until your voice is actually heard. Um, Advocate for yourself or even better, bring someone with you because sometimes even in, in discussion, like you may be sitting in pain or not able to really focus on what's going on. And where somebody who's clear and, you know, fresh minded at that time, they're able to like say, well, no, this is what this person is saying. And this is the help that they're looking for. Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 um, it's heartbreaking. It's frustrating. Like I said, it's, um, it has to stop, you know, mm-hmm. um, but this is heavily ingrained within our healthcare system. Like, you know, people are trained this way to treat people as if their concerns don't matter. And until they recognize what has happened and how bad it is and that they need to unlearn those practices, then this will just continue on because we learn by sharing. And that is literally like what happens in nursing school as well as medical school like you know you see one do one teach one so you know you you experience it and then you'll end up teaching somebody later on and you're teaching them these really messed up ways of treating other people Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah and I love that you included that you know at some point you're just like you're advocating and you're advocating and you're like I just want to give up because um, you know, even personally, that's at the point I'm at. And I just, Mm. I'm like, this is exhausting having to constantly put up that battle. And my mom is a very adamant woman and she's Mm. so funny. She's like, well, give them my number. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And then she's like, well, then you better do. I'm like, how are you still on my ass across the country? Like, oh my God. (laughs) Um, yeah, exactly. And so you know, that's, and and that's the thing too, like, um, as much as it might be, um, difficult sometimes to bring that type of personality in, sometimes it's worth it to like, have them there with you, you know, like (laughs) sometimes, sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it can be non-productive, but sometimes it is worth it to have like someone there to have your back. Um, I know COVID right now presents an issue. Um, A lot of patients are coming in and they're by themselves. Like 
for their mm-hmm. clinic visits, some some people are not allowed to bring in like their support person in the hospital. They're allowed to have, you know, um, their support person in the hospital during labor and birth um, or an admission. But like during um, during their prenatal care, they're by themselves. And I'm like, I, I tell my patients, like, you want to call your support person? Please get on FaceTime. Let's do this. Like, do you have questions? Do they have questions? You know, we you know, it's not a journey to be done. Health, health and life. Um, in general, is not a journey to be done by yourself, and you need the support of other people. So I, I get where your mom is coming from, and I completely understand because my mom is the same way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that Facetime idea. Now I don't want her to hear this episode because she's gonna be like, "I know you have appointments coming up. Facetime me." Um, but. Yeah. And it's just hard because especially as a woman of color, then you're like, I feel like I'm being discriminated against because this, and maybe it's just because I'm young or maybe it's because I'm, you know, by myself, but I haven't been able to have anyone with me for any of these appointments and things oh, like that. And it's yeah, really just right. eye-opening to like how much doctors and stuff like that think they can get away with when it comes to that kind of stuff, because, you know, they're like, oh, they might not notice or might not say anything and right. that kind of stuff. Um, right. But even then it's like, well, I don't want to come off as like the angry black woman demanding this and Mm -hmm. this and this. Um, And that can be applicable for, you know, even if I wasn't expecting and even if it was just, you know, that doctor that Googled rashes on African-American skin, um, (laughs) you're like, you're like, I don't want to be that person. That's like, they're like, oh, sitting at their dinner table later, this black lady was just so angry today. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to perpetuate that. Um, Right. So it's so hard to be graceful about it. How, but how else are we heard, you know? And, and you have to like, look at your own experience. You probably didn't start off like, uh, with the perception or that stereotypical front that they want to or title that they want to put on you as angry black woman you mm-hmm. probably started off just like oh this is something that I'd like to have checked up on and you come in mild-mannered like a human you know <laughs> just yeah. saying like this is my concern but over time because you have to keep bringing it up people and people respond everyone responds differently people get upset and and you know what like what I, you know, what I have to say about the angry black woman thing is that's their problem, not yours. Like it's, it's, the, you're now at the point where no one is listening and I'm trying to take charge over my care, which you have every right to, and you deserve all of that. Um, and so no one is listening. So if you take this as a, I am upset, fine, be it, so be it, but I need you to make a change in whatever you're doing so that I can get the care plan that I need, like the treatment that I need, whatever, whatever I'm searching for, I should be able to get you, you pay for this service, whether you're directly paying for it or not, you're paying for a service, you're coming in for a service. Um, you know, I say this all the time too. It's like, providers have to remember like people are human in front of you you're not just a problem or diagnosis you're somebody who is coming for seeking care from someone else you know we're not above above someone else we may have education we haven't gone to school for all these things but like someone's telling you something's wrong with them listen to what they're saying and let's come up with something together like and and we will we'll stay on this until we get to the resolution you know if it's not something that is that's common or supposed to happen 
Um, so I, I, I want to like debunk that, you know, that thought of the angry black woman. I get it because I say the same thing too, even like mm-hmm. for myself and for my job, I'm like, I don't want to be seen as an angry black woman, but, um, but like, if we're not speaking up, that means, um, someone else is going to fall through the cracks as well. And it's got us, not that it falls on anyone individually, but if it can stop here where you are, that's one less person or one unlearned um trait or you know characteristic about um the medical field that can be stopped in its track if that makes sense Mm -hmm. yeah like it has to start somewhere for it to be able to stop like you have to someone has to at some point be like no this isn't right otherwise no one's going to change what they're doing right right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I love that and yeah these are all just like personal frustrations and stuff that just come out through all of this and through recognizing that, um, what are challenges that you often face as a care provider? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, uh, not enough time. So I work at a busy hospital practice and, um, that's definitely not my end goal. Um, but for right now, that's what, where I am. And I know that it's, um, a need that needs to be met because we do have a lot of black people who do come into our setting and require care. So I'm there and hopefully I'm giving them exceptional care, the the care that they need and deserve. Um, but you know, part of, part of it is the time, like, you know, you want us to see patients every 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes 20. Um, but especially with the pandemic, these um, these appointments require more time. It's not just the physical, you know, when it comes down to it. And I think that's what midwifery is all about too. We recognize that like, we're, we're dealing with folks, not, not only on the physical state, but mental, emotional, spiritual, their social surroundings, you know, their economic status, all of that is important to know how to um, plan for them and how to meet them where they are for what their needs are. So, so time is important for me because the more time I have, the more we can talk what's normal and what's not normal um, and dive into questions and really prepare for what's ahead, especially in a pregnancy, if we're talking about that specific mm-hmm. part of midwifery. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I tell my patients all the time, this visit is not enough. You have to get supplemental, um, either tools, books, resources, classes, because what we offer here, it, it's an in and out. It's a well-being check. You know, we're, we're making sure everything's okay. Labs are good. Baby's good. You're good. All that stuff or prescribing you things or for, you know, specific to a pregnancy, but you need way more than that, you know? And, mm-hmm. and for me, it's like, I want to deep dive with patients. I want to make sure like they have access to all they, they need. I know that I'm not solely responsible for every single aspect of their life, but I also recognize all those different components really affect how their pregnancy outcomes will go. And that's another thing with like the black maternal health crisis. It really is like, it's not just, um, it's not just, it's not something we can blame on the black person, right? It's something that um, is, again, heavily ingrained in the medical system. Racism is like the bottom line. That's the foundation of why we're seeing these rates like this. Um, you're treating people a certain way because they look a certain way um, or they identify a certain way. But 
of really going beyond that and seeing of the person for who they are is critical. And a 10 minute visit, like I have to cram everything in, introduce myself and get to know you in this visit. And then I see you one month later for 10 more minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really frustrating. That's one of the frustrating parts. Um, lack of support. And, and um, this is not necessarily my struggle, but I know it can be the struggle of a midwife who's in a busy practice setting. If you don't have the support of the doctors, if they don't believe, believe in midwifery, then really that's like a setup for failure for midwives um, um, and for the patients, you know, because we're really trying to work hard at, at um, helping people out. I think for a while too, it's, it, it was the question of, oh, well, will midwives take away jobs from physicians? The answer is absolutely not. Because, you know, we, we enjoy seeing the low risk midwives and, um, you know, and birth workers, we enjoy seeing the, the low risk patient, the patient who um, is not complex. We love seeing the complex patient too, but we realize that they require the care of physician of a physician as well. And there's, there's so many, what we call like healthcare or um, care gaps and deserts where people don't have access to care that even if we filled in those gaps with all the midwives, there's still room for more doctors to have um, patients and to complete procedures. Like we're not taking anything away from them, um, but we do work well in conjunction with them if they understand what the midwif- midwifery model is and what that means for whole person care. Um, so those are a little bit of the, like the frustrations. It's like lack of time, um, you know, and then like some people lack of support, um, sometimes to lack of support in, amongst yourselves, like within midwifery. I know when I first started midwifery, I felt like very isolated, but that really boils down to trying to, yeah, try, trying to, um, you know, find ways to get connected and, you know, social media has kind of solved all that or helped with that. I shouldn't say solved. It, it de- definitely helped with all of that um, because you get to connect to people that you wouldn't ordinarily connect with, mm-hmm. you know, had it not been there. So those are some of, some of the, the frustrations that we do experience. Mm-hmm. And even yeah. like your comment with the doctors and things like that, it's like similar to, you know, the marketing business and stuff like that. It's like, there's enough for all of us. Like Mm -hmm. my success will not take away from yours. It's really important that we're able to work together to produce the best results. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Even, and that relates to the midwifery world as well. Um, I don't, I, I think there's this misconception too, with some of the white midwives that, you know, if a black midwife comes in and and is practicing that they're going to take away business. Big people are having babies and have been having babies since the dawn of time. So, <laughs> you know, and, and uterine and vaginal health is something that's super important. So we're not really taking, taking much away. Like there is room at the table. And so often like black people have not been included in, at the table. So when we get in there, it's like, okay, let me like, you know, spread out my wings here so that I can make sure someone else can come along um, and sit here at this table or let me make a table of my own, you know, so Mm -hmm. that um, the people who really need what they need can get there. But there's something to be said too, and I I can go on tangents so you can cut me anytime, but (laughs) (laughs) there's, there's, there's something to be said too about um, sometimes needing what white communities have. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, many times that that can look like money. It doesn't always have to look that way. It can look like money, it can look like information. And while they're very good at supporting each other, again, if you get a seat at the table, sometimes you have to sit there and you have to acquire and obtain and um, soak in all that you can so that when you go and start your new table, you have this information too that you can pass on to others, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just um, the midwife community. That's another frustration sometimes too. But um, but I think that um, we definitely can make strides towards changing all of all of these things. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be, regardless of ethnic background and race and stuff like that, there's always going to be something that someone else knows that you don't. And right. so there's always that opportunity there that, hey, I can help you. You can help me kind of thing, even if it's not like a tangible you know, exchange. Um, mm-hmm. but there's always that opportunity in those connections as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so one of the things on your Instagram is that you advocate a lot for black midwives, you advocate a lot for, you know, black maternal health care and stuff like that. Do you find that you're faced with a lot of pushback from other communities about this? Or do you find that people are like, no, this is your space. That's your target demographic. I respect that. Mm, I find I haven't had a lot of pushback, at least not to my face, but anything that's not in my face is not my business. <laughs> Facts. So, so, you know, if someone has a problem, you know, then they can take it up with themselves. But, but um, no, I mean, I think this is totally my zone and the place to be again, like there are so many different, you know, I can list off a ton of other Black midwives who are doing the same work in different different aspects. And again, I think that's um, what it boils down to too, is like we not the work of changing all this, again, does not rest on the head of one person. And it doesn't look like one means to an end there. We have several different ways. There are policies, there's research, there's um, activism, there is your everyday work of showing up for Black people. Um, there's, um, you know, the birthing centers, there's home birth, there is being in the hospital. So, um, so as far as I know, like I haven't had pushback. Um, I did have a little bit of trouble, um, a couple years ago with my account and my job, but that was Mm -hmm. more so, you know, big business, I believe wants to protect themselves. And in an age where social media is always changing, they don't know necessarily how to do that, or it's always evolving in their own legal um, course too. So, um, I mean, I learned lessons from that. And then, you know, I just kind of go from there and, and be about my own business and, I'm, I'm about creating something that no one else can take away from me because I want community for my community, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I haven't, yeah, no, I haven't had a lot of pushback, um, but I'm also very, very strong-minded and very clear too that I'm a, about Black birth and I'm about Black community. I serve, you know, a large demographic and I, I, I have love for all of the patients that I see, you know, I don't, at this current time, I don't choose who I see. I see who was put on my schedule and guess what? They get the same exceptional care that I give to a black person. Um, but I am very, um, you know, I am very, very um, specific about black birth and black pregnancy and black outcomes because that's my community. That's what I relate to. And that's what I want to speak change in. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's what's important. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that you, you're not saying that, you know, black mothers and black women um, and black people carrying babies and all of that are superior or anything, but it's just that there's Mm -hmm. such a gap in the care there that it needs to be spoken out on so that there can be that balanced swing come into effect. Right. Exactly. It's like the, um, the meme that's out there where it's like, or I guess maybe like a video where someone's like, well, this house is on fire, you know, and let's go, let's go help the people who have this home on fire. And then someone else walks in and is like, well, what about my house? But their house is not on fire. There's yes. No <laughs> yes. There's no issue. We're not saying your house doesn't matter. We're not saying like your house is not important. But at this point in time, your house is just fine. It's got a solid foundation. Nobody's touching it. Right now, somebody else's house on a fire. We need to like get this fire out, make sure, get these people out alive, you know? Um, Absolutely. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. yes I use that <laughs> line so often I'm like do you want a firefighter to stop at your neighbor's house first see how they're doing just check things out see how their cat's yeah. holding up like no you want them to rush to where it's needed right right, right. exactly absolutely mm-hmm. is what you're doing now what you've always wanted to do or was there something that kind of sparked that that you're like oh I need to follow this I'm so I'm smiling you can't see me but I'm smiling (laughs) um so I knew I wanted to go into the healthcare field I like I said earlier I wanted to become a doctor a medical doctor that was the goal because I knew I knew from undergrad that if I was to become a doctor I would be an OBJYN I was the um no, maybe, maybe I'm using this term loosely, but this is the nerdy kid who was really interested in birth when they had like the sex ed talk. Uh, yes. They showed the video. I was like, was oh my gosh, this, this woman is so powerful. Like, look at her give birth to her baby. Yeah. And everyone else was freaked out and like ewing and, you know, making hemming and hawing. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. You're like, so, get it, girl. Um, yeah. But, yeah. um, you know, it's funny you say this and I'll share a little bit more of my, my background here. So um, my grandmother was a midwife and she comes from the island of Antigua. So I'm like of Caribbean descent. And um, uh, when my mom, I was really just recently talking to her about this. My mom, when my mom gave birth to me, she was like for like the first month, I think she didn't hold me because my grandmother came. And she's like, <laughs> the only time my mom really um, held me was like to breastfeed and like, that was it. And so um, there's a picture of my grandmother holding me. And it's just like, she's like, that is like, kind of like what depicts the time um, of, of just that early postpartum um, for her. And she had said to me a while back, she's like, I wonder what she said to you. I didn't know that my grandmother was a midwife until um, after she passed away. I knew her to be a registered nurse. You know, she had come up from the island of Antigua and was a registered nurse here. But I found out in her passing that she was a midwife. And that was um, that was before I got into midwifery school, I believe, or around the time. So it was really like transformative for me and impactful. Um, but I do wonder like what kind of conversations and what she like whispered into my ear or, you know, I feel like she might've just sent her good juju to me um, or midwifery juju to me. Um, but to, to really answer the question, I, I knew I wanted to be involved in birth in some way, shape or form um, early on. And 
when I, when things didn't go the way that I expected them to with, with medical school. Um, and that's how my life kind of goes. Like if it's not meant for me, the door is going to shut and I know to walk away. Um, Mm -hmm. but with mid, with, with nursing and midwifery, it was like all the doors swung open at the right time in the right way and in ways that I couldn't have even planned for better. And so, um, with all that, like once I, once I headed into nursing school, I had never stepped foot in a birth center. I had barely seen any births, but I knew I was going to become a midwife because that's, that's the way I could get it done. That's the way I would be able to do what I was so passionate about doing. Um, and so I, I guess I, I kind of had an idea. I just never knew what it would exactly look like. Um, and here we are, I'm still amazed every day at what midwifery looks like for me. And now I'm working on what, um, what it means to me and what it can look like me far different from what they told us in school. So now it's really shaping, um, shaping my own form of midwifery, um, and being true to myself and authentic with myself, um, as I practice as a midwife. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I like that it was something that, you know, your family was into and it's in that history as well. So it's one of those things that's like, you know, once you understand more of your past and stuff like that, the future makes a little bit more sense. You're like, ah, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. I love that. And how did your, was your family super supportive? Were they kind of like, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) I still wonder if like, you know, uh, you know, my mom's always like, I, I, I try to imagine you doing your job, like, but I don't, I honestly don't think like, unless you're in the birth world, I feel like people don't understand what, what gets done. Like, mm-hmm. they, you know, they might envision me in a field delivering a baby, which is quite possible. But that's like, you know, that is one part, part of the part of the whole. Um, so when I, you know, I, I had been preaching that I was going to be, or, or, you know, cheering myself on that I was going to be a doctor from a young age or from maybe end of elementary school or high school, somewhere on there. So like my, especially my church community knew a lot about that and people and friends. And so I think, um, I think when I was like, this is not working and this is not it. I wasn't devastated, but I know like my family, I don't think they were devastated, but I think they were like, well, what are you going to do? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then nursing wasn't so far-fetched because again, my grandmother was a nurse and then her sister, um, she had another, she has a couple of sisters who are nurses. We have one cousin who actually just passed away, who was a midwife as well. So like nursing is not so far-fetched and midwifery, you know, that's not too strange or out of the norm. Um, but the shift between like, oh, you're going to be a doctor to, to, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to get to this goal. And then finally, oh, I'm going to be a nurse and then become a midwife, you know, that for other people, I think hit hard, but I realized too, I can't for my career and I'm still trying to apply it to other parts of my life. Like for my career, I cannot like allow someone else's thoughts about how I should live impact me. Um, and I don't say that like selfishly, I say it kind of selfishly, but I say it like, I don't say it negatively. Um, what I mean is, um, if I were to live the life of a doctor, I know that I would be miserable and I wouldn't be the person, it wouldn't live up to align with who I am as a person. Um, and that's not to knock, you know, being an MD, there are plenty of great doctors out there, people who love what they do, um, and it works for their life, but that was 
just not what I was designed to do. Um, and I really do feel like my purpose and calling is here in midwifery. So um, if I if I led the life that someone else had planned out or dreamed for me or wanted for me, I wouldn't be happy. And that that's important. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah, I'm the same way. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because when I was younger, I always said, you know, I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, mm-hmm. but like prior to that, like as far back as I can remember, I was always obsessed with pregnancy. <laughs> Yeah. when you know my parents would leave me with the tv I'd watch those like baby story and you know you watch their journey and stuff like that and then it's funny because I got to the point where I was like you know I didn't go into the medical field um and then I ended up switching careers and doing a few other things and stuff like that and then when I found out I was expecting I was like what the heck like what what am I supposed to do and it's been like several months of just sheer panic. And it's funny because it's like, that's something I always wanted. Um, and now it's like, it's so interesting how (laughs) I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do now. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's interesting how, you know, some people, you know, you find that career and you're like, I am absolutely going to stick with this and I'm driven by it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's incredible and it's beautiful that, you know, it's something that you're so passionate about because that quality of healthcare for sure would not be there. Um, right. if it was something that you were like, Oh, I just kind of went into this and I just, right. <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the vagina chronicles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. That, um, <laughs> I, I have to chuckle every time I think about like its origin um, as much as uh, you know it sounds funny or like people like classically love it yes. it started kind of like a joke because I'm like you know the my life is literally like the vagina chronicles like I, I, I see a lot of vaginas like and I mean more than that like you know we're we're doing some you know different things and I and we talk um birth control, there's procedures that are done, you know, there is pregnancy, there's birth, but there's so much outside of it too. Um, but you know, that was like my life, like these are the vagina chronicles. Right. And mm-hmm. so it kind of just started like that. And it, it really blew up. Like, you know, people were like, what did you do? And I'm like, I was just myself and I was sharing information and like, here, here are things that I think people should know. Here are things that I'm learning. Here are things that I'm unlearning here are things that like people might be interested in and here are other people to follow, you know, because it's not just one of us out there. Yes. We're few and far between in terms of black midwives, but there are other folks out there doing the, their thing and it, and it looks different, but it's, it's um, under the same umbrella, but uh, it, you know, I really, it really was driven out of a place of like, we all have a story and I'm sharing parts of mine, but also in sharing part of my story, I'm allowed to like let others share their story too. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like I said, creating safe space and community. There's so much that we keep as secrets that um, especially um, folks that may identify as women or folks with uteri. Um, we, a lot of times we, um, we keep secrets, like, you know, miscarriage is a big thing, infertility, especially in the Black community, and it's not until someone has a loss, or someone, you know, experiences a miscarriage, 
or is struggling with infertility and is vocal about it to maybe a close friend or family member that then they realize that, oh, like, hey, my mom and sister had this happen to them too. And they never said anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, like I put that in my bio, like that's something that I want to get rid of is that toxic secrecy that we hold on to. Um, it's not serving anyone. And, and you know, we see it, we're seeing a lot of transition with this too in, in many different aspects. Mental health is another, another place as well. And trauma, um, you know, it, it's like in the black community, you don't tell your business. And I can mm-hmm. understand why we, we are like this because, you know, back in the day, if you talked, if you talked too much, you would die. Like you, people yes. would kill, come kill you, you know? Um, and it's not your family. It's like other white people will come for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those kind of toxic traits are they're, they were protective, but they're no longer serving us, right? Um, they're, they're more destructive now than protective. And so um, I'm not beating or, or bashing anyone for, because I, I too have my own traits that I need to work on, but I'm not bashing anybody for how they are um, coping with whatever they're going through. But um, a lot of times, you know, if we were able, able to take down that barrier, that wall, and have these discussions face to face or in small groups. Um, I find that it's really helpful um, for people to not only share their sto- story, but then begin healing. Um, and that's you know sharing the story is critical to that. I believe when when the time is right, not everybody you know um, can do that right away, and it's not for everyone you know now at this time, but when it's when it's time when they're ready sharing your story and talking about what's happened to you um I really do believe can break down that wall of um defense and also like that secrecy that just doesn't serve us anymore Mm -hmm. that's so important and just opening up about those things because people just feel so isolated and alone until they're like oh wait this is experienced by so many other people Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you have tips or words of wisdom for anyone that's looking to get into this field as a care provider? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've got a lot. Um, or at least I think I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is like really research what you're, if you're looking at midwifery, because you know, we could, we talk a lot and it sounds great and it, it's magical. And I'm not saying that it's not, but there's a heaviness that comes with it too. There's a weight that we do carry. Um, and, um, it, it seeps into other parts of people's lives. And, um, you know, I really do want for folks who are interested in midwifery to take a look at what it means to be a midwife, um, or even in birth work, what does that mean? Um, because, Um, if you're truly committed, it will require a little bit of sacrifice, I do believe. Um, And then sacrifice is not for always, it's not for um, the all time, but it, but it is a sacrifice. So, you know, really look into what you want to do if you're planning to be, become a midwife. Um, there are several different realms or, um, pathways towards midwifery. Um, like I mentioned, I'm a certified nurse midwife, so I have a, a degree in, um, nursing. I am a registered nurse. And on top of that, I went to more schooling um, to become a provider as well. Um, so it's really important to look at the realms because each state, at least if we're talking in the U.S., 
each state requires um, different um, certifications and they may have different regulations for the types of midwives that there are. There are some midwives who cannot practice in a hospital. Um, typically certified nurse midwives, those are the ones that you'll find in the hospital setting. Um, I do believe there's another type of midwife who can in certain states go to go into the hospital or be um, privileged there. Um, home birth or licensed, uh, I shouldn't say home birth, I should say licensed midwives or certified midwives, CPMs, um, tend to practice outside of the hospital. So there's just a wide variety of, of, of ways where you can get into this work. And then there's a, the traditional midwife, which gets often overlooked too. And I had to check myself on this the other day. Um, these are folks who may not necessarily go to school per se, but they are um, following someone who is a traditional midwife and they learn from them. And it's very holistic, um, which midwifery tends to be anyway. Uh, but there's so many different realms, like I said, to getting and pathways to getting to midwifery. So really look at what your your goals are, what your state um, or wherever you're living, what, what the regulations are there. Um, also planning to take time off and rest and recuperate and self-compassion. I mm -hmm. think within the last year, that's been my biggest lesson is um, I have um, practiced for a long time with the the forefront of care for everybody first um, take care of everyone and make sure everyone else is good and I've neglected myself and so now I'm trying to like kind of pick up the pieces from all that and to really show myself um, like I said self-compassion um, because if I cannot function if I'm not here I can't continue doing the work that I'm so in love with doing you know yes. um and so that's a really huge component like know who you are um and know when you've met your limits know when you need a break um and then also practice practice self-compassion self-care and not just like these bubble baths or you know baths are great but like and if it adds to like your care routine cool but like really get into like what makes you function or helps you function better yes um in, in your day-to-day -day practice and ritual um so so yeah those are a few a few of the things um and study hard like you know don't give up if you believe it's for you really 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 focus on um how you can get there and know that it may not look exactly like how you want it to but hopefully it will look like the way it's it's supposed to for your life it'll fit for you you know mm -hmm. so it, yeah, it doesn't always have to be linear. Right, right. Yeah. My, my journey sure was not. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Um, and just your note on self-care, like that is so important. And I love that you're not like, yeah, put your feet up, have a bubble bath, unless that's like complimenting your routine. Right. Um, I'm currently reading this book and it's by John Kim, um, also known as the angry therapist. And it's called Single on Purpose, um, but it's oh. written for truly anybody. And this book has blown my mind. And, mm. you know, one of the things he said is, you know, he'll have like a, a point where he's talking about, you know, loneliness or what makes you happy and self-care and stuff like that. And so he was talking about self-care and he was saying, you know, like it's saying no, when you need to say no, instead of just burning mm. the light at both ends. And, um, you know, when you want to look at self-care, think about, you know, reflect when are times in your life that you felt happiest or most fulfilled, even mm -hmm. if it was like a big thing, how can you start to implement that 
into your daily routine so that you get bits of those feelings back and how can you work from there forward you know right yeah I'll have to check it out that's a it sounds like it's a good book (laughs) oh my gosh it's so good (laughs) I feel bad for my siblings because every day I text them I'm like so uh this is the uh, the chapter I just read so do you want to call and discuss it (laughs) they're probably all like (laughs) but yeah no it's so impactful and it's just you know it's little things like that and especially when you're in that field where you feel mm-hmm. like you need to put out so much and mm-hmm. you know it is important that you are giving that level of treatment to other people but then are you giving that same level of treatment to yourself right right it's like um who heals the healer is a question you yes. know like um we and and the, I don't think people understand this is a big takeaway too is like there's such a huge spiritual and energetic exchange when it comes to birth like it's not just like oop birth and and for some people maybe it is like they can separate themselves like that I just can't and I know a lot of especially black or BIPOC midwives who like because it's so ingrained in us and so um ancestral towards us it's hard for us to separate um that energetic exchange that happens like if you look into the eyes of someone who is birthing even if they have an epidural wherever they're located doesn't matter there is a really big exchange that happens and 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 the exchange has to do with a lot of times with trust um and so Mm -hmm. if you are not really like you got to trust yourself right that's number one but if you're not like caring for yourself to support yourself not only just you know physically but like emotionally and mentally and protecting yourself and cleansing yourself too you know it really can take a toll and be a heavy weight if you're not careful so um it's important to understand it's not just like oop delivery and everything like sometimes Mm -hmm. you're people push for three hours there sometimes sometimes there are things that happen in birth like you know um you know babies kind of need a little help coming out and so those things again um go they tap into our energy and our resources there and and this is again not in a negative light it's just like that we have to dig a little further mm-hmm. to get to get to the goal you know yes to get to the goal yeah and that's the reality of it it is a lot more of a raw experience than so many people tend to interpret it as right right yep absolutely (laughs) (laughs) what about your story do you think is important for other people to hear um I think that just kind of like what we were saying um you know, the pathway to midwifery, or they said the pathway to healing is not linear, which was ringing in my mind. But Mm -hmm. it's true, the pathway to midwifery, the pathway to your, your career, it may not look like everyone else's. So I get a lot of times, like, you know, people will ask, oh, what school did you go to? What did you do? And sometimes not that I don't want to withhold information, but I'm like, well, why is that relevant? Because for you, you know, you may be able to, you may be able to afford a different school or maybe, maybe you can't afford something else, you know, um, or maybe you have different life circumstances where you have to work while you're going to school. So my education isn't necessarily going to, you know, be the, the guiding factor for what, what it looks like for somebody else. Um, and that's okay. Like it doesn't have to look exactly like how I've done it or someone else has done it. 
um, what you'll find too, especially within the nursing world and within midwifery is like when we're learning and um, versus when we become a provider, we take bits and pieces of what we have been trained and taught to do and apply where needed and use what's necessary. So some things um, you may learn are like great for you and then other things just don't align with your practice. And so you really have to kind of seep through what works for you. So the takeaway really is like, let your journey be your journey and document your journey, you know, write it down so you can reflect later on and think like, wow, look at where I was. Cause there's going to be a point in time where you're going to feel like, when is this going to be over? When am I going to get to what I want to do? Um, mm-hmm. You might be coming from a, a position of like, kind of like you were, what you were mentioning to you, you went from one career path to another like that can happen. And when you look back, you know, count it, not looking back because we're sad about whatever, but looking back to like count the receipts of what's happened. Um, sometimes it's really fulfilling just to see, wow, I was here. And at that time, I didn't really see clearly what could happen in the future. And now look at where I am. This is amazing, you know? So that's, that's my takeaway there. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining and sharing and just sharing your experiences from such an honest and open perspective. Um, I genuinely will encourage everybody I know to uh, follow you and (laughs) just kind of stay tuned with your journey because I think that you have a lot of incredible things that you're sharing and raising awareness for that need to be heard and be out there. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I don't, I think, I don't know that people know how much that means. Um, and you know, I get a lot of times like, oh, you must be busy and like, yeah, I'm busy, but like everyone else is busy too, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it's just coordinating time and all of that. But I really do appreciate the, the folks who like, you know, just like you said, show gratitude and I'm grateful for them because you know, I do this work for other people, you know, and, and for myself, but like, you know, it's important to see other people through it. And so me, me being helpful to someone else, um, really just makes me kind of like just smile and be feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. I hear so, you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's not like, look at what I'm busy. It's not like, look, I'm so no. busy. It's like, look at what I'm busy doing. Look at mm-hmm. the impact I'm making and the legacy that I'm creating, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. I love that. Um, Where can listeners best find or support you? Sure. Um, So, um, of course, um, on Instagram, you can go to The Vagina Chronicles um, or at The Vagina Chronicles. And then my website is thevaginachronicles.org. And I'm on Twitter under, I think, The Badge Chronicle because uh, it was too long. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm there. I'm not, I'm not, I don't tweet as often, which is ironic because I am, I am a lover of words, but I don't necessarily tweet as often, but I'm definitely on Instagram and on my website. Um, I'm trying to build up the community a little bit more. Um, uh, We have a postpartum prep group that's going on now. And then also I'm looking into starting a prenatal, sorry, pre-pregnancy prep group. That'll be next. Um, And so folks can look out on the website for that and on um, Instagram. Facebook is coming. It's a slow start. I'm not a huge fan of the platform, but I know that it can reach the masses too. So, um, so be, be on the lookout for those things. 
Perfect. And I will include all of those in the links below. Um, and then hopefully, uh, you know, people can access that information and everything that you're sharing. Cause yeah, like I said, I think it's really incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for joining us and taking time, um, to yeah, share with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you.